This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Over there, you'll see Daniel Gallen and then Tyler Calvaruso. If you're watching on YouTube, appreciate you for checking that out. If you're listening on audio, we have an all-hands-on-deck situation because it is the early signing period getting underway and what is really now the signing day. I don't think there's much uh, escaping that reality now. Uh, early on in my career, and I know for, for many of those out there listening, we used to count down the days to Wednesday in February, that first Wednesday. That, there's still some meaning there. We'll get to that in just a moment. But 22 prospects signed by Penn State here uh, just before Christmas. And Tyler Calvaruzzo is going to talk a lot about how these guys got here, some of the recruiting battles that were waged to make sure they got to the finish line with Penn State. We're also going to talk with Daniel specifically about what the roster impact is for 2023 with Penn State. And you got to factor in some of the loose ends we're still working with with this 2022 roster as we approach the Rose Bowl and some decisions that need to still come this postseason. But Fellows, you've both done tremendous work here. It's our first signing day working together. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we get to kind of punctuate it here on the podcast. I know we both have some work to do after this, but Tyler, we'll begin with you, and we begin with the one guy who did not sign who was committed to Penn State coming into the class, Conrad Hussey uh, down at St. Thomas Aquinas, one of two players from that program committed. South Florida, perennial powerhouse. You know there's going to be a lot of noise down there with any recruitment. King Mac quietly signs those papers, sends them in. He's coming to Happy Valley. Conrad Hussey, not so fast. Talk us through where that's at right now. So he has decided not to sign today. It remains to be seen if he'll sign during the early signing period. But today, there's not going to be any sort of movement from Conrad Hussey. So basically what's been going on here is Florida State has had the momentum. And as of this morning, it looked like it was going to be Florida State. But Miami has kept up dialogue with Hussey. And I think that gave him reason to reconsider. And then obviously Penn State has stayed in that fight. As Javon Sider said this morning, indirectly referencing the Hussey recruitment, we're still fighting. And Penn State has not really given up with Hussey. So there's a lot of moving parts right now in that recruitment. There have been instances where he's felt the pull to stay closer to home. I think that's a big reason why things are where they are right now. And I think that's why, you know, he's heavily considered moving off his Penn State commitment. But this is going to be a saga that continues for the next 24, maybe 48 hours. There's a lot going on, but nothing happening tonight. And reminder that the early signing period does extend through Friday. So there's still an opportunity for Hussey to, to change this mind right now. And maybe he wakes up tomorrow. He's ready to sign with someone. He doesn't need to let anybody know either. We've seen guys sign during the early signing period and then announce later in the winter. Guy on this roster, Devon Illies, he committed 
and signed to Penn State during the early signing period in December. He didn't go public with it until January at the Polynesian Bowl. So there are some instances with this, but you'd imagine, and James Franklin referenced this in talking about Kavion Keys. Kavion Keys told the staff he was ready to commit last week. They're spending time together. You know, there's a lot of good vibrations there, and all of a sudden he throws in the caveat, but I, I think I may want to wait to sign until February. So there has to be an extended conversation there. To me, if, if you're going to go past this period with a program you've been committed to, that you visited, that you have those personal relationships with, and it doesn't come to fruition now, hard for me to see that happening later, Tyler. Yeah, I feel like, and this really goes for anyone, not just the Kavion Key situation. I feel like if you're committed to a school and you make it through the early signing period without signing, you're pretty much not committed at that point because you didn't sign during the early signing period for a reason, right? You're pretty much weighing your options and seeing what else is going to come about. And I think roller coaster is really the best way to sum up the Penn State's pursuit of keys. It was one that continued beyond his commitment to North Carolina. It never really stopped. When he pledged to the Tar Heels, Penn State never took its foot off the gas with him. And a lot of other schools stayed involved too. We've talked about it plenty. Texas A&M, Florida, Auburn was involved for a little while. So there have been a lot of schools pushing keys. There were a lot of schools pushing keys to get off that North Carolina commitment. Penn State wound up being the one to win that battle in the end. And not only did it win the battle of getting him off the North Carolina commitment, it won the battle of getting him to sign during December. That, that was a pretty big deal. And the staff's really happy with Keys, the potential will coming onto campus. So a lot of excitement surrounding him. And Penn State was happy that he was able to get this one done now and not have to play out what would happen if it did make it to February. And we'll address uh, that linebacker group. We'll go through some position-by-position position breakdown here. But getting back to just the different dialogue we're hearing this time of year, you know, Terry Smith, you mentioned Miami being involved there with Husty. Yeah, he said, seems like Miami's after everybody right now. And, and, and Penn State's got a couple guys down there in Florida. You wonder how much the Hurricanes were trying to make movement there. Uh, and, and overall, it's just a different ballgame. And I think Daniel, James Franklin, really made an emphasis to – Put his stance out there because this is a day where I think a lot of coaches are going to be asked, how are you coming to terms with this new recruiting reality? Is it working? Is it sustainable? I think James Franklin really put his cards on the table during his press conference today. I think it's, it was a little bit more of what we've heard already from James Franklin when it comes to NIL, um, talking about guardrails and guidelines, um, that that there needs to be more of that, um, you know, and talking about the couple of references to the wild, wild West out there. Um, I spent some time with Taylor Stubblefield and, and he was asked about NIL and <clears throat> excuse me. He said that you hear about, you know, guys asking for seven figures. Um, you, you hear those types of numbers getting thrown around and, you know, you just kind of, you know, he said that it's a kind of new landscape to really navigate. Um, and he said that it's something that, that comes up in all in most of the recruiting conversations. Um, he does pay attention to when it comes up in the conversation and who brings it up um, because there's, you know, there are some potential red flags that you can glean from there. Um, you know, if it's something that gets let off with or, you know, some depending on where it's coming from. So it, it's a different landscape. It's changing at this point and next year it's probably going to be different again. Um, whether that's the amount of money getting thrown around, the way that that money is getting distributed, you know, whatever it is, it, it's something that's constantly evolving. But, you know, James Franklin said that, you know, he wants to see more guardrails. He wants to see more guidelines and that uh, I think he said that this was one of the, I think one of the more crazy, one of the more crazy recruiting cycles that, that he's seen in his 26 years as a college coach. 
I'd imagine many of his peers in the industry would agree with that. And the, the tricky part here is it's not, you know, Terry Smith or J1 Sider sitting across a table, writing down a number, passing it to a parent or a prospect. They write down their own number and they keep going back and forth until they have an agreement. The coaches are under very explicit directions, not supposed to sit down there and be, uh, you know, uh, bargaining or, 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 or at the, at the table like that. And so I think Terry Smith, you know, basically says, I'm not, I'm not going to talk on NIL. He'll talk about a lot of different things that are going to an athlete's life, but it, it's, it's just a really tricky situation right now. I think for the Penn state coaching staff and a lot of coaching staffs across the country, because if you're trying to walk that tightrope of, of sticking to in some ethics that you've put put out there for yourself and you want to recruit this thing the right way. And Pat Kraft has talked about Penn State's not going to be a team that buys its roster. And, and he's talked about there's going to be lines they don't cross. Right now there's a lot of lines being crossed and you get in a situation where a 17, 18-year-old kid the lines are blurred for them and they're not necessarily looking out for the right moment, the right decision in this moment. Uh, they're trying to get as much as they can with this four to five year stretch of, of eligibility, where if you look at each of those years, like a potential salary, you make the wrong pick out of high school. All of a sudden, your financial ceiling goes down and no one's guaranteed an NFL paycheck. So to me, Tyler Calvaruzzo, I understand why this is brought up to coaches and I also understand why a guy like Conrad Hussey, when you've got some different phone calls coming your way and numbers being thrown around, that must have seemed like imagination two years ago to a kid like Conrad Hussey. Maybe he makes the right move here and pushing pause. But you have to wonder, um, you know, Penn State, if they're going to continue to invest the sweat equity in this one or if they're going to say, hey, we, we love you. We want you on board here in December, but we're going to kind of get a signal here if it doesn't happen. You know, I feel like at the end of the day, there's only so much that Penn State could do in a situation like this when you have a program like Miami that's pushing hard. And I don't think it's really a secret what Miami does on the NIL front and, you know, the resources they have in that area and just their overall approach to using NIL to their advantage. And look, it's a great point. You know, it, it does have to be brought up because this is just the world we live in now with high school football recruiting and is a big part of it. And, you know, there are probably going to be changes like Daniel mentioned. There are probably going to be regulations of some sort put into place and wh whatever happens with that doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is these athletes are now in a position to kind of play their recruitment the way we always advocate for athletes to play free agency, you know, maximize your earning potential, do what you could do to put yourself in the best position to capitalize. And now high school football recruits and basketball recruits too, as well, are able to do that. So I'm, I'll never blame a kid for playing the NIL game. I'll never blame the family for playing an NIL game because, like you said, nothing's really guaranteed. There's no guarantee you're going to the league. If now is the time for you to maximize your earning potential, it's now. But in terms of Hussey, you know, we'll, we'll see how much further this goes. I know right now Penn State's still involved, but if the NIL game keeps playing out, like you said, maybe there's a there's a limit to it. And I don't want to just pin this all on, on NIL. You know, it's it's going to be oh, yeah. single digits here this yeah. weekend. It's it's going to be warm in, in Miami there's, this yeah, weekend. Yeah, there's other stuff. There, there's all these sorts of things. But this was a front and center kind of conversation in a way it has never been in a setting like that, talking with Penn State coaches. So I felt like we needed to lead off a bit with this, address the hussy thing. Now let's get to what is a bit more normal, and that's talking about who signed, where they're going to impact the team, and all that sort of stuff. And, and positional clarity is always something we love to gain from, from this opportunity. Coaches would love to talk about their prospects as much as they could, how excited they are about them, but they can't until they sign with the team. So the floodgates open a little bit, and we learn a lot in these Wednesday settings. And let's start on the offensive line, Daniel Gallon, because 
probably a lot of bit of a surprise here. We've pegged a lot of interior roles to these three. It sounds like, though, Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams, both top 100 prospects in 24-7 sports evaluation, are going to get their first looks at tackle and work from there. Anthony Donko, a four-star prospect who got a bump up to that rating this season as a senior, going to work at guard. So uh, we got some answers there. and we're, Maybe there's more tackle depth than we anticipated, but as Franklin said, those guys are going to have to really prove it, and, and maybe you do see them ultimately move inside. But I think the fact that they're going there day one says something. James Franklin compared it to what they did with Landon Tangwall last year where they started him out at tackle. Um, he got extensive reps uh, in, in November, uh, I think in the, in the final two games of the season um, at left and right tackle. And, you know, that's kind of what James Franklin wants to see. You know, they want to see if they can do it um, because that's a good piece of information to have. You know, when you're building your depth chart, when you're building your offensive line room, what is the full capability of these guys? Uh, they believe that all of them can play all five positions between their physical ability uh, and their brains and their size, um, that it's something where you can play them at all five, but they want to actually know that. Um, and James Franklin also mentioned that the fact that all three of these guys are enrolling early, that helps too. You can go through spring football with an Alex Birchmeyer or Javen Williams at tackle you can figure out if that's a fit or not. So then when the summer comes and it's time to start preparing for those games, um, when you start to set that depth chart and decide who's going to see time, then you know, um, you know, whether you want to keep those guys out on the edge or really start um, that interior development in earnest. But it's a really interesting group. Um, You know, I think that Penn State fans should be really excited to see all three of them on campus um, and I think that it's really big that all three of them are going to, to be enrolled early. Um, that's really going to give them a big leg up in what is a, a much deeper room uh, than it was a year ago at this time in, in terms of um, you know, what we thought that this group was capable of. So that's a big boost. And uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of you know, left side or right side talk today. It was more you know, where do these guys slot in. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what Alex Birchmeyer looks like at, a ta- at tackle. Uh, what Javen Williams looks like at tackle and, and what Anthony Daka looks like uh, at guard, um, you know, just in a couple months here. And all three of these guys already six foot five plus 280 plus pounds. So in a good position physically to get that jump in with winter workouts and then ultimately uh, spring practice reps. And uh, we'll find out a lot about this group. We'll get to a little bit more on the offensive line because this was an area that James Franklin referenced when talking about remaining needs for the team. Um, uh, Kind of the mystery man of this recruiting class, despite the fact that he has been a familiar name for so long, uh, is Mega Barnwell. Mateus Barnwell down from uh, Virginia, a guy who committed earlier than the staff would have liked, and, and they acknowledged that. And, and ultimately, he backed off that pledge and then came back on board. And along the way, his body has changed, and, and we've wondered – well, is he going to be a tight end? Is he going to be a defensive lineman? Is he going to be an offensive tackle? And we got our initial answer today, and maybe a bit surprising, one of three tight ends introduced in this class. And let's begin here, Tyler Calvaruso, before we talk about the tight end room. Uh, this guy's been a hard one to wrap your head around. He said for a while when we ask him, he'll play whatever the team wants. Uh, he is listed, I believe, right now at 6'5", 260 pounds. The 250 pounds is 6'5", 6'6". So there's a lot you can do with your imagination there. What do you make of this move? I think it's interesting. I mean, like you just said, there really there's a lot you could do with an athlete like Mega Barnwell. I think it's kind of funny though that this wound up coming to fruition because I believe there was a point in Mega's recruitment where 
I'm not sure it was when he had the body that he has now. He's pretty candid that he said he didn't think he was going to be a tight end at this level. So for him to morph into that position and kind of, you know, that's where he's going to be starting at Penn State. It's interesting. And it speaks to his athleticism. It speaks to his work ethic because if he's going to get his first crack at playing tight end, he's going to work his butt off at it. That's just who Mega Barnwell is. And I think the important thing for Penn State fans to know in this situation, because, you know, they see three tight ends now with Mega playing that position. And there are obviously other positions that still need to be addressed. Where you start isn't necessarily going to be where you're finishing. You know, Penn State's going to evaluate Mega at tight end. If they like the fit there, he'll stay there. If they don't like the fit, they'll see where else he could fit into their plans. So just because he's starting at tight end doesn't mean that's set in stone. But I do think it's an interesting little development to come out today for sure. Yeah, and, and the numbers, I mean, they're, they're not huge at, at, as, t- as far as tight end production goes here in the, in the passing game, but uh, he caught 12 touchdowns as an upperclassman. Uh, if you watch his highlight film, he certainly can go up and get the ball, and he's a physical presence downfield. I just checked what Penn State listed him as in, in their signing. That's another thing that we kind of get a, a nice yeah. update on is, is some size and, and, and weight uh, updates and, and Mega Barnwell, six foot six, 250 pounds. Uh, you know, so what you see from him – in two weeks on campus versus what we see from him in two years on campus, we could be talking about a completely exactly. different physical specimen and what you're going to use him on the field. But right now, Daniel, fact is he's going to be at least hopping into that tight end room come winter time. And Brenton Strange certainly has a decision to make after having a bit of a breakout here uh, year in year four. He could be off to the NFL after the Rose Bowl. Theo Johnson certainly came on strong. Tyler Warren has played a bunch. And then Khalil Dinkins and Jerry Cross more in that developmental range, although Diggins took a step forward this year. Three more guys into that group. That's a lot. It, it's a bunch. Uh, and you're bringing in guys that uh, have you know a, a lot of talent and you could see doing some some really good things. Um, you know, I really like Andrew, Andrew Rappelier's film. Uh, when, when you look at him, I think he's listed at 6'4", 235. Um, he's really solidly built. Um, I really liked what I saw from him. The one camp, a couple of the camps he was at over the summer. Um, he's I think faster than people think, Daniel. I think he, I think mm-hmm. that's something that people like he's smooth and he's pretty fast downfield. He looked very refined uh, when, mm-hmm. when he was uh, up here. And I think that he's someone that, you know, given the, the depth chart, it might be hard to see him contributing right away or at least contributing in a significant way. Uh, but I think that he's someone who is in line to contribute the earliest um, out of the three. Um, and then Joey Schlaffer, I mean, he's he's got the Penn State bloodlines. Uh, Michael Mennett uh, introduced him uh, during the signing day show as, as the the latest draft pick uh, in the signing day draft. Um, you know, he's very familiar with the program. And he averaged nearly 20 yards a catch uh, over the past two years. I think 6'5", 220 pounds. We saw him play quarterback at a seven-on-seven tournament last summer. Um, you know, the, he did kind of everything uh, Exeter Township asked him to, another in-state guy. Um, and then you add Barnwell to that mix, where you've got the 6'4", 235 Rappelier. Uh, then you got the 6'5", 220 uh, Schlafer. And then you have the, the 6'6", 250 Barnwell. So you're working with a lot of different body types. Um, gives you some flexibility there. Um, and, you know, I'll echo what, what Tyler said or what Tyler Calvaruso said. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see you know, where Barnwell ends up. Uh, Taylor Stubblefield w- was asked what the conversations between Ty Hal, John Scott and Phil Troutline um, is going to be like when it comes to, to Barnwell's future. And you know, Stubblefield just kind of laughed and said that, you know, they'll they'll see where he ends up. Uh, Franklin, James Franklin kind of framed it as, you know, they'll start where the kid wants to start. And then they can, you know, they can show him some things that might open his eyes to, to where his future might be. 
you know, Franklin referenced the number of very successful uh, NFL offensive tackles that started their careers as tight ends um, and as something that, that you can show to a player. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, these next couple of years, how this group really fills out where they end up and, and really what kind of roles they have um, in the offense. Everyone wants to see 10 plus red shirts burned every year and, and, and a bunch of guys vying for big 10 player of the year, but you forget and transfer portal doesn't help here, but James Franklin talked about it. Developmental prospects are a real thing and they should still be a thing that you can wrap your arms around as a college football program. You bring in an 18 year old and a guy who maybe has only played football for a couple of years or is kind of positionless at that point in his life. And then you send him on his way as a developed player at a position who all of a sudden has a different forecast for his football future. But because of the transfer portal and because of the need for immediate returns, not necessarily seeing the patience. Uh, James Franklin referenced that with Joseph Mapoye. Get a little bit of that sense with Barnwell, you know, his, his family, the staff. You know, maybe you can't expect a microwave outcome here. You know, one year and having all the answers. Maybe a year from now, we're picking it back up and sorting through what's next for Mega Barnwell. And, and it's happened with a guy like Zariah Fisher going from linebacker in year one to defensive end. Nick Tarburton took that route. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it, if it does lead somewhere new or if ultimately he stays and, and kind of proves everyone wrong and becomes a productive tight end for Penn State, which is not where a lot of people saw him landing, especially when he committed at that size two or three years ago. And everybody said he'll play offensive tackle, no doubt about it. Um, so looking at the positional conversation again, guys, going over to the defensive side of things, uh, Tamir Robinson, uh, we, we've talked about him playing linebacker, uh, certainly got that with the cleared up today. And, uh, no talk right now about him playing on the defensive end side of things. So three linebackers come on board, all blue chip status, Kavion Keys, Robinson, and then Tony Rojas. I mean, to me, this is up there with just about any in the country, Tyler Calvaruso. Yeah, I think it's probably the strength of this class if you really take a look at it. Ross is a top 24-7 guy. Robinson's really highly rated, and Keyes is another top 24-7 guy. And they could all do different things. You know, Robinson. Robinson's interesting to me because he has the body. You know, you have to see where he develops, you know, physically. Because he has the body where he could play on the edge, and he does have edge traits. That's something that we have discussed throughout his recruitment. But he's going to get his first crack at playing linebacker and being a Mike. And I think that's a role that suits him because he's a physical player. He's a good tackler. So all of that plays into his potential as a linebacker. And then you look at guys like Keyes and Rojas who are so uberly athletic and can make plays sideline to sideline and can cover in space and can play the Sam and Will spots. I mean, Penn State hit every position at linebacker in its defense in this cycle. It was really impressive work by the staff. This depth that they've accumulated at that position just in this year alone it, it, it's kind of tough to put into words how that came together. It's a really high quality group. And with Rojas, I mean, he, he, I really, you can't say enough about him athletically. You see what he does at, as a running back at Fairfax and you see his, just how athletic he is and how much of a playmaker he is and how high, how high of a football IQ he has. And that translates to the defensive side of the ball. It's hard not to be excited about him and everyone else. One pick to say which of those guys makes, I don't want to say the Abdul Carter impact because I'm not putting that on anybody, but you know, clearly is a guy who's ready to sail past that four-game threshold and be an impact member of the defense. This is one of my favorite questions. I, have, I fielded it on the board, and if someone actually did bring up the exact – who's going to be the next Abdul Carter? And, and I think it, it's – used to that question. <laughs> it's a really good question because think about it like this. Robinson lost his senior year to an injury, so he's kind of working his way back into football shape and just you know, being comfortable on the field. 
He's just a guy who could probably benefit from bulking up. And Rojas might fall into that category as well. Rojas would be my pick. I think he has the highest upside of the group, just me personally. I could see him contributing as a true freshman in some capacity, whether it be on special teams, whether it be, you know, meaningful snaps in Manny Diaz's defense. I think he has that kind of potential to break that four-game threshold and burn that red shirt. And oh, by the way, Tony Rojas was recognized as what the the all DC metro area offensive player of the year uh, this year. He'll be playing defense, of course, but approached 40 touchdowns uh, as a star running back uh, down at Fairfax. Um, and, and then when we look in the defensive backfield, this is always a fun thing to sort through on signing day because you know uh, safety versus cornerback and and the, going staff to staff in college football, the varied opinions on who should be where and who has the high ceiling in a certain spot. It's always a fascinating conversation during these kids recruitment. And right now you're looking at a cornerback definitively, Elliot Washington, who comes up from Venice, Florida, uh, King back up from Florida as well. And the big six foot three, 200 pounder at a Selma, Alabama and Dakari Nelson. Those two will be at safety Lamont Payne, according to Terry Smith, is a bit of a tweener right now in the eyes of the staff. They're going to get him to campus, take another look, get him involved on the field, and figure out if he's a safety or a cornerback as a freshman. And then Zion Tracy. This is one of the more interesting storylines that popped up as Wednesday progressed, guys. Zion Tracy announces a cornerback. Uh, Terry Smith talked about him as a cornerback today as well. He talked about Elliott Washington and uh, and Tracy both being four three-range 40-yard guys, 40-yard dash guys, and what that means for speed at cornerback. But then he uh, talked about Zion Tracy getting a look at wide receiver. And there is an internal conversation about that. And I think that ultimately roster needs are going to dictate some of that. But they're going to get Zion Tracy here. um, And they're going to try to find out what exactly they've gotten this guy. You just had a a cornerback moving over to wide receiver at Christian Driver. um, And and so you got to look at the numbers a little bit. Right now they're really loaded up on youth uh, in that wide receiver room. And the cornerback room maybe could use a bit of an influx there. But – Daniel, this pops up and it just leads you to to kind of uh, remind yourself that not every staff has some kind of a consensus or unanimous opinion on a prospect. And this is the one that feels a bit open ended still and one where Taylor Stubblefield is going to maybe get to make his case. And Terry Smith certainly wants to keep Zion Tracy within his positional walls. Penn State loves its positional flexibility. Yes. I, I don't. I don't know how many times we heard that today when when it comes to a lot of these uh, a lot of these new signees. Um, but the the Zion Tracy development is is pretty interesting, and I Taylor Stubblefield gave us some good uh, kind of a little bit of a behind the scenes look uh, that when Zion Tracy was camping uh, up at Penn State over the summer that um, that Stubblefield was going to tell him uh, to to make sure to work on both sides of the ball, uh, take some reps at wide receiver uh, in addition to cornerback. Um, you know, Tracy stayed on the defensive side of the ball and really showed out and impressed. And I think that really was a, a big springboard uh, for him to get to this point. But the the numbers makes it really interesting to me. Um, I think that when you look at the, the Penn State cornerback room right now, it's going to be really young next year. Um, and when you take Christian Driver out of the equation, uh, Jeffrey Davis Jr. in the transfer portal, uh, Marquise Wilson did senior day. Um, you know, Johnny Dixon is someone who has to make a decision on a COVID year. Uh, it, it's the type of thing where that depth can disappear really quickly. Uh, so the more defensive backs you have back there right now, uh, probably the better. But at the same time, if you have the opportunity to add some 4-3 speed uh, to your offense, you're going to do it. 
I mean, that's just how it works. You know, that speed plays at, at any level. Um, and if they think that he has the hands and, and can make it work, um, we'll see. Um, it is really interesting. You know, we, we kind of saw how the Marquise Wilson situation went last year. And, you know, Terry Smith uh, over the summer acknowledged that it was probably not the best, uh, handled the best way for the player. Um, so whenever there's kind of these discussions about, you know, is he going to play one one side or the other? Um, you do kind of wonder about a timeline for that kind of decision. Uh, we're, we're seeing that with Christian Driver now uh, when that shift is happening. So that'll just be something to, to monitor with Zion Tracy, you know, over the, I guess, over the next calendar year. And we've got a bit of a mix um, on, on when these guys are getting to campus. Uh, so stay tuned, Tyler Calvaruso, because we're going to get to that early enrollee uh, discussion a little bit later here on the podcast. Let you know who's coming in January, who's not getting into town until next summer, because that makes a big difference on really what those first year expectations are. Although uh, we've seen guys show up in, in June. Uh, yeah, Mr. Abdul Carter uh, didn't really seem to matter to him all that much. A um, couple of guys who were referred to as steals today by James Franklin when breaking down this class. Um, not necessarily surprising for each of them involving some injury history. Uh, Jackson Smolik, the quarterback out of Iowa, who was on our latest episode of this Lions 24-7 podcast. And then London Montgomery, the in-state running back recruit who signed, uh, signed with Penn State after missing his senior season due to a knee injury. Uh, that happened in a preseason scrimmage back in August. He was looking to build off of a 2,300-yard campaign. James Franklin said a couple times today he thinks that London Montgomery was – within sights of 3,000 yards as a senior on the ground. So they think highly of this guy, but I'm curious what you think, Tyler Calvaruzzo. Are these a couple three stars when you sort, look through these rankings? you got to kind of scroll down the page a little bit on the Penn State signee list to get to these names, Jackson Smolik and London Montgomery. What do you, what do you kind of uh, think about James Franklin's assessment there, and do you share it? You know, I don't want to put words in the mouth of the rankings committee, but I feel like if London Montgomery didn't suffer the knee injury that he suffered and got the chance to play his senior year and produced as he did as a junior at Scranton Prep, I think he would have had a pretty strong case for a fourth star. I mean, when you're rushing for over 2,000 yards and scoring over 30 touchdowns and just pretty much barreling over the kids you're playing, I think that kind of speaks to the talent that you have. And his testing numbers are pretty good, too. I mean, I've talked podcast i believe it was in the summer when he committed that i talked about this that his testing numbers were very similar to miles sanders when he was coming out of high school and now that's not to say he's the next miles sanders but we're talking about a guy who tested the same and is a very productive high school football player so i think had he suited up for his senior year he would have had a strong case to be a fourth star and as for smolik it's tough to because you know someone so many of these evaluations start when these guys are young and just go on and on throughout their high school career and smolik was obviously a, a late riser and he he missed some time early in his high school career due to injuries and that kind of I would say you know delayed the ratings process for him I think I think he has four-star potential for sure I think he could definitely be a good power five quarterback that's why he's in this class Penn State they really like him and he showed a lot as a senior at Dowling Catholic just how tough he is he's smart with the ball then he can make tough throws you know I remember some people were questioning his arm strength coming out of the elite 11 and you know can he zing it like Marcus Stokes the answer is yes you know, that's the bottom. He can make these throws. He showed it throughout his senior year. It's evident on tape, and he did it against some pretty good teams in Iowa. So, you know, the ratings are the ratings. They are what they are. The staff doesn't evaluate, you know, on ratings. They, they don't go on 24-7, you know, see what we're thinking, and then determine where that kid's going to be on their board based on that. They have their don't own sell opinions. yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> they have their own opinions, and 
at the end of the day, they love Smolik, they love Montgomery, and that's really all that matters. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I don't think any coaching staff in the country believes they sign a three-star. Um, no. I, I think everybody I thinks that the, everybody's got the case for a fourth or fifth star and they should be there. But hey, you should have that kind of confidence in your class. Oh, yeah, and getting, no getting back to Smolik, who has a lot of confidence in himself, and yeah. those who've seen him on this podcast, he's not a physically imposing figure. He's not even like you – know, he, he's not even – He's not even a verbally, uh, you know, it, some some quarterbacks, they'll talk your ear off and they'll talk about themselves. He's not either of those things, but there is a presence that you pick up on him. And when you talk to people who've been around him, Mike Yersich and, and, and kind of going it about the, what they call the old fashioned way, coming to camp, knowing that the offensive coordinator wants to get a look at you in person on his home turf and evaluate you and then either send you home with an offer and you're feeling really good or send you home and pretty much say, hey, it's you, not me. We're not going to move forward together. He got that offer. He committed pretty swiftly. But Daniel Gallon, how often does Penn State sign a quarterback who's got offers from Tulane and Cal, and that's it? Now, that's kind of the thing here. And, and when we spin it further ahead, this is not just necessarily some cool underdog story to monitor in the next three to four years. This guy could be your backup quarterback next year. He, he has every intention of pushing Bo Perbula for that number two quarterback job. He's going to be on campus in January. We'll see what he makes of the opportunity. But he is very much, with the way injuries happen, with the way quarterback uh, depth charts can get tossed a little bit from time to time, week to week, he could be an offensive factor over the course of that 2023 season. I mean, no matter what way you slice it, Jackson Smolik is going to be a couple heartbeats away uh, from being the Penn State quarterback next year. You know, right now they're they're set to have three scholarship quarterbacks next year. Taylor Stubblefield was asked about the possibility of, of adding a fourth through the portal, and he said that that wasn't really a priority right now. You know, he did the never say never caveat, um, but it looks like that Drew Aller, Bo Perbula, um, and Jackson Smolik is is how they're going to roll forward. Um, so he is someone that he's going to be here early. Um, you know, I think we saw last year with both Perula and Aller, how big that is for a quarterback, you know, to be able to establish themselves as a presence in the huddle, uh, in addition to learning the playbook and learning their way around college football. But uh, I think the small X story is, you know, it is pretty cool. You know, James Franklin said that it's rare these days to have that kind of, um, you know, situation at a school like Penn state where there's a prospect coming at quarterback coming to camp, you know, at that point in the cycle um, and is ready to, you know, is out there with the chance to earn that offer. Um, I asked Stubblefield what he remembered uh, about that camp um, because, you know, he was over there, you know, he saw Smolik throwing to those wide receivers that he was also watching. And, 
he said that the the intangibles stood out that in that type of situation it, it, it's hard it's kind of hard to be a leader uh because in a way it is every you know every man for himself uh it's a lot of individually based things a lot of those kids are you know they also want an offer they want to get noticed they want to use this um as their opportunity to to raise their profile but he said that Smolik was able you know just with his presence to really exude some leadership um and that's something that that caught the staff's attention um when when it came to that camp uh, back you know was that the last friday in july i think um so it you know Smolik had a had a very big rise um when in terms of his profile and you know he's going to be a he's going to be a big 10 quarterback and he's going to be on the road traveling with them and when you're QB3 or QB2. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's an important task. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about Jackson Smolik in year one and, and just a matter of weeks. He'll be hopping into the party, Sean Clifford, going to the exit door, and, and in comes Jackson Smolik. Uh, Tyler Calvaruzzo, let, let's get into it with, with a guy that I'm really curious to monitor because you talk about the positional stuff getting cleared up. And Dakari Nelson is going to be a safety all the way for Penn State. That's their plan right now. We talked about when you when you're measuring up a six foot three, two hundred pound line, uh, safety, and you're watching what he can do on the football field with his physicality as a high school player. You think, okay, is that Sam Roll his future destination? Terry Smith was not going down that path in our conversation today. He's the defensive recruiting coordinator for this program. It's also a secondaries coach, so he sees a fit here. Six foot three, they think he can just be a big safety who can eliminate a lot of space with that length. What do you think about this decision? I like it. I actually think it's a pretty easy evaluation to see. And, you know, like we talked about it a bunch, you know, during the summer and throughout the fall, what we thought Nelson was going to be at the next level. And we questioned, you know, how would his body develop? Would he grow into, you know, just big to the point where he would have to play Sam linebacker, right? Because, you know, sometimes you can max out, you know, your size at safety. But I think what went into this is just how good of a covered player Nelson is. If you watch him in coverage – he uses his length. To, he's smart. He uses his length to his advantage pretty much every rep that he takes in coverage. And he can line up all over the field. We've seen him down in the nickel on film. We've seen him playing one high over the top on film. He's played some outside corner for Selma too. That's not his job, but they asked him to do it. He did it, and he did it pretty damn well. So I can understand why Terry Smith likes him in the secondary and to stay in the secondary. And I, I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where they kind of reconsider that. When you look at Nelson – and you see the sport kind of transitioning more and more to bigger safeties who can cover and are athletic and can run. That's what Nelson is. And this was a huge win for Penn State in that regard just because Auburn saw that, Ole Miss saw that, and to an extent Alabama saw that. You know, we talked about that. Alabama kicked the tires on Nelson a little bit. Three pretty solid programs gave Penn State a run, and Penn State was able to hang on really without much of an issue, I would say. I know we took the officials to Auburn and Ole Miss, and I know anytime a guy takes an official elsewhere – you need to pay attention to that because it does raise, you know, some red flags that a guy's looking at other opportunities. But I don't think this was ever really in peril for Penn State. Nelson was very transparent with them throughout the process. And I don't think he ever really wavered despite the fact that he did examine other options. So just all around, I think, a fit on and off the field for Penn State, really. I think it's a it's a huge win between yeah. that and, and the Elliott Washington win. Who, who you know, this guy was committed Washington. to Alabama, yeah. And and his and his father was a Crimson Tide alum. And, and oh, by the way, um, that everybody in the South is making some kind of pitch these days. And so to get those two guys pretty quietly to the finish line, it's not like you've been writing and monitoring minute by minute. Will they? Will they or won't they? Right? Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been yeah. They're solid. They're going to sign. They were solid. They signed. 
And Zakari Nelson, for a guy who checked out a couple SEC campuses, who knows who else was blowing up the DMs and the text messages of late, I think it's massive, a massive win for this defensive unit to get him on board. And I look at what they've got cooking in the safety room, and I love the length. We've seen we've seen what Zaki Wheatley looks like flying around the field with that length. Like People are going to get to know the name K.J. Winston a lot in the future. He is being billed as a star in the making. He's another six foot two. 200-pound long-limb safety, and now you add the six foot three, 200-plus-pound Dakari Nelson. There's a lot to like about the way they're profiling. And Anthony Poindexter, as Terry Smith pointed out, was a pretty big safety back in his day as well, uh, an All-American at Virginia. And what he's been able to do with that safety room has been very impressive in these recent recruiting cycles. Uh, I wanted to get over to uh, the running back position once more because since we last had a podcast, uh, London Montgomery has some company. Uh, and Cameron Wall signed today. So they've got a tandem now. They've been looking for a tandem, and they found it. Um, unfortunately, they're not going to see these guys on campus in uniform or doing anything with the program until the summer. London Montgomery, we're going to have to keep monitoring his recovery from that knee injury. Um, but it's going to be the Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, and perhaps Kevon Leach show when it comes to scholarship running backs in the spring ball again. What do you make of this addition of Cameron Wallace, who was a fantastic safety on the high school field this year, to me, looks like a legitimate return threat in the special teams unit, but it's going to impact this team potentially right away at running back. Ken Wallace reminds me a lot of Journey Brown in multiple ways. He's fast. He's shifty. He's a playmaker in the open field. He's really tough to bring down. And there's also the fact that both when they were in high school played against smaller school competition and you know, really abused that competition. They really showed out on film. Wallace accomplished that with relative ease despite – defenses keying in on him every single week. And Jay one Sider said today when they were on the Zoom call with Wallace, we can't wait to get you out there in space and get you the ball. That's the plan here. This isn't going to be a player who's just lining up in the backfield. He's going to be lining up all over the offense. I think he's going to get some return opportunities. I 100% agree with that sentiment. He's one of those guys that you don't find ways to keep him off the field. You know, you maximize his potential. You get him the ball pretty much any way you can, whether that be as a return man lined up in the backfield, get him in the slot as an extension of the running game. There's a lot of options here I play for Mike Gersh to work with. So this is a very welcomed addition to the class. Again, another guy who's not necessarily highly rated. He believe he has an 87 rating on 24-7 sports. He's not a four-star, but the staff loves him. And he was at the top of its board. He jumped Christopher Johnson on that board. That's pretty much why that official visit wound up getting canceled. And it was a push with Kedra Criscano, who's a top 24-7 prospect. He's a really, really good player in his own right. So for Wallace to be mentioned in the same sentence as those guys as a late riser, I think it really speaks to the potential of the Penn State staff season him. This guy played for a four and seven football team. He had almost 100 tackles, uh, five, I'm sorry, 10 for loss, three sacks. He had 1,200 rushing yards, about 10 yards per carry and 14 touchdowns. He also led the team in passing yards. So you're talking about going from a situation where it's all on your shoulders, man. Go win us the game if you can to – it might take four or five touches and we could get something cooking here. And Daniel, the reason I say he might be a factor right away is because we're not sure what to make of Kevon Lee's ambitions beyond the Rose Bowl. It sounds like he'll be in a, ch a chance to, to get back into action. But the last six games, it's been Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, and walk-ons. Uh, Kevon Lee's in year four at the college level next year if he's back. They need some young talent to pop up, make some moves, give you at least some depth. And to me, with London Montgomery's knee recovery and just the unknowns there and what does it look like when he gets back in pads in August, I'm just kind of spotlighting Wallace as a bit of an under-the-radar necessary piece for this offense next year. 
We talked about depth in 2021 at linebacker where Penn State was pretty lucky that they made it through that season without any major injuries to the starters because there was not much behind them. Um, I look at what happened at running back in 2022 in a similar way. You know, Kevon Lee obviously was banged up, but the fact that they were able to get from mid-October through late November with nothing happening to Nick Singleton or Katron Allen that we knew about, at least, um, you know, given how physical that position is, just given, you know, some of the violent collisions that that those guys uh, are involved in, uh, especially given both of their playing styles, like neither of those guys are, are shying away from any contact, um, you know, from a defensive lineman, linebacker, safety. Um, I think Penn State was really fortunate in 2022 to really skate by uh, in terms of that running back depth um, in the last month and a half of the season. So, you know, the more people that you can add to running back, the more options, viable options um, that you can have when, you know, push comes to shove, someone might need to get thrust into action. You know, I a hundred percent agree um, that he is someone that, you know, right now we're probably not envisioning uh, him, you know, in a major role, but, Similar to Jackson Smollett, you know, a couple heartbeats away, uh, you know, from being RB1, uh, RB2, RB1 and a half, uh, depending on how the rotation goes. So, you know, Kevon Lee has a decision to make. Uh, that's something that really changes the the outlook of that running back room, um, if you have him there or not, um, from both a body's perspective, but also an experience perspective and a productivity perspective. Um, but I think Wallace is someone who is, you know, going to be, interesting to see and a unique player too, given the the various ways that they can use him. There's not really someone um, on the roster like that right now. So it's going to be a, a pretty interesting piece to add to this offense, both from depth perspective and playmaking pr- perspective. And he was introduced at 5'9", 175 pounds. Uh, he's also a guy that I wonder, get him involved in the passing game. Is that something that you work with? He just seems like a very versatile component. Also yeah. seems like a guy that if you say, you know, screw it, let's play him on defense, that would work out well for you too. So the more of those kind of players you add to your roster, the more opportunities it gives you, the more it gives players opportunities to consider uh, their value with your team as well. And, and Tyler, look, we, we're working our way through this thing, and, and a name that just uh, apparently James Franklin wasn't hearing enough, and I don't think we've mentioned it much on the podcast, so let's change that right now. Uh, James, unsolicited, uh, I had asked about the, the defensive lineman they picked up last week and Joseph Mapoye, uh, who drew some uh, – uh, drew some. I, I don't want to say comparisons, but at least – uh, people were bringing up Jason away when they were talking about this guy from a raw perspective, from a guy who they're getting at an interesting time in his trajectory as a player. And then Mason Robinson joins last week, a uh, guy from that McDonough school pipeline. They said they were heartbroken when he committed to Northwestern in the summer. They ended up working it back full circle. He, he's on board. So you address the defensive end position at defensive tackle, though, blending gets introduced at six foot one, uh, 260. So we heard kind of the, the rally cry midseason for, for bigger bodies in the defensive interior. But this guy, uh, for that size, got a lot of love in the press conference. James Franklin went out of his way to say he is not he's not rated highly enough. He's not being spoken uh, enough. When you watch his film, I then go and look at his rankings and I can't put two and two together. Um, where do you stand on Tyreek Blanding? Because I think James makes a good point. It's not a guy that we have brought up much on the show. Yeah, he's not. And I don't think the size factor with Blanding has ever really phased Penn State. I feel like they just like him as an overall solid prospect. They like his get-off. They like his first step off the line of scrimmage. 
They think he's smart. They, they know <coughs> what he's doing in the trenches, which is, you know, a big deal for a young player. You know, so many guys, when they're young, they just rely on their raw physical attributes to kind of help them win blocks and get into the opposing backfields. Blanding's not that player. He's, he's yes, he's quick off the line of scrimmage, and yes, he has good get-off, but he has to get smart to win his blocks, and that's what shows on his tape. You know, I know the competition at Christ the King maybe necessarily isn't the best up in New York, but he's making plays pretty consistently. So solid, I think, is the best way to describe Blanding as a prospect. I know John Scott Jr. is pretty excited to, to get a chance to work with him. And that was the spot that James Franklin said that they're looking to address perhaps still moving forward. Now, whether that's the transfer portal, whether that's the February signing day, uh, that was an area referenced wide receiver was defensive back. And there was also kind of the wrinkle of we're waiting on an answer at defensive back. So that could change our opinion, but it sounds like they at least want one of them, maybe multiple defensive backs um, wide receiver. James Franklin also said maybe multiple guys there. That's no surprise if you've been following the podcast and then offensive line specifically though, at the tackle spot. So a lot of needs still out there. And, and Daniel, when you kind of look at Penn state parsing through, how do you address them? I feel like we're getting to the point where some of those spots say, if you don't address it with the transfer portal, it's going to be a major question lingering over this roster just because there's so much difference when you can say, yeah, this guy's done it at the FBS level and he's done it for a couple of seasons and now you expect him to do it here versus this 18-year-old is really good at high school football and just trust us, it's going to translate here in year one. Definitely. I think that there are a couple holes that Penn State has that when you look at the transfer portal versus recruiting, I think that you would like to look more um, at the transfer portal, I think that the wide receiver situation uh, is one of them because there's so much youth at that position, um, but there's so many guys that are just very unproven. Uh, Taylor Stubblefield kind of ran through the depth chart today uh, and talking about guys that are going to have opportunities uh, to really step up. Um, and he mentioned guys that have already contributed too. you know, Keandre Lambert Smith and, and Trey Wallace um, with, with Parker Washington leaving. Those are, two players that are really going to have to step up. Um, you, and he worked all the way down the depth chart, you know, Jaden Dott and Malik Mega, um, Caden Saunders, the Amari you know, Evans, all of them um, are going to have the opportunity to step up. But when you look at who you're going to be putting around Drew Aller next year, um, if you can add someone who has done it um, at the level, you know, whether it's someone who has put up big numbers in the Mac, um, someone who has maybe a little bit of PAC 12 experience, uh, no matter which way you slice it, if you can bring someone in who already has that experience, has already been through a college strength and conditioning program, um, is already used to what college football is, uh, that gives them a, a significant leg up. And I think that when you look at offensive tackle, when you think about uh, wide receiver, just kind of the the learning curve that can be there from high school to college, if you can do that through the portal, uh, you're really you know, saving some time uh, and saving some growth, saving some energy. Um, uh, and, and, so it will be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Sorry to interrupt you there, Daniel, my bad. Um, I just wanted to kind of tee up Tyler here with all that in mind because you've been all over the transfer portal as, as some targets have emerged and some have gone by the wayside. And then there are a few names. There'll be some more to monitor that we're going to be checking in in the high school senior ranks as guys try to make that February decision. Let's all remember Bega Ioane last February signed, and it looks like he's going to be a big piece of the puzzle for this offensive line moving forward. So what do you think, Tyler, in terms of that balance, portal, versus recruiting, and who are some names early on that people need to be aware of? 
I think there's definitely going to be a balance. They're going to be examining the high school ranks pretty much just as, as much as they're going to be examining the portal as they have been pretty much since the beginning of the offseason. On the offensive line, in terms of high school recruiting, you got the four-star from Maryland, Shimdi Ono, another late riser, was committed to Old Dominion for a while, dominant senior season, raw, but a lot of physical traits that an offensive line coach like Phil Trotwein could work with. They're going to look to get him on campus in January. I know there's a chance, Brian Doan said there's a chance he's making it to Ole Miss for an official in January. He has a pair of visits left to take. I think Penn State's in a pretty good position to receive one of them. So we'll see what happens there. Defensively, you know, we've talked about the defensive line. I think there's a lot of evaluating still going on. There aren't really any targets that kind of jump off the board right now. Quintrell Travis, who we've talked about a lot, the Juco defensive lineman, just signed with Auburn, so he's no longer in the mix. And then the secondary, which, you know, there's definitely a chance they could add there as well. Roger Pleasant, I think, is a name that needs to be remembered, the top 100 corner from California. It's going to be tough to pull him off the West Coast, but there is still interest in Penn State, given the relationship that he has with Terry Smith. So I think that's something that kind of has to be kept in mind. And then when it comes to wide receiver recruiting, I think right now all focus on that should be on the portal. The likes of Caden Prather, Dante Cephas, Thornton, Dante Thornton, a lot of guys, you know, Devin Carter from NC State. Penn State's casting a bit of a wider net at that position. He's a guy that I know has a chance to make it to campus in January. They like him. Pretty big catch radius on him. Big play threat. Penn State's really looking far and wide for help at receiver. They want to get more explosive. They want to add some more big play guys. And I think you're going to see that happen at some point, whether it's Cephas, whether it's Thornton, whether it's Prather, whether it's a name we don't know yet. But I think when it comes to wide receiver recruiting, the portal is the place to be looking right now. And then at corner also, I can't forget, Gavin Holmes, the Wake Forest transfer. He's going to be making it to Penn State for an official in January. He made it through his Texas official visit over the weekend without committing. So I think Penn State has to be pretty happy with that. They're going to get a crack at him. All right. So appreciate that. And again, this is always just evolving at a rapid pace. So yeah. follow us at lines247.com. Tyler's got the goods often. And we, we got a lot going on through Christmas and, and into Rose Bowl. And the rest of the stuff's just not going to stop. And, and the coaches know that. They all look exhausted. They're, they're trying to work it. But you, you've closed the book on signing day now. And you, you get up tomorrow and you got to pick up that phone again. You try to piece together. Uh, you got a lot in, the, in place now with the puzzle with 22 prospects signed. And I want to finish off with who are those guys who are going to be here in a matter of a week, two weeks and a half, I think it's 16 days or so uh, when they'll actually be here in classrooms in state college in the weight room and working their way towards that debut on the practice field come March. Tyler, you assembled a list at lines 247com We already referenced the quarterback Jackson Smolik will be on campus. All three of those offensive linemen will be on campus. Who else stands out among those early enrollees? So Mega Barnwell is going to be there early. Lamont Payne getting there early, I think, is important because Penn State's still kind of trying to figure out what it is that they want to do, what they want to do with him. And, uh, you know, just more time to develop with Payne is important. And I think the same goes for Zion Tracy because, you know, we just talked about it. They don't know if they want to line him up at wide receiver or corner. I, I think, you know, there's heavy consideration on both given what we could take away from today. So getting him on campus early is going to be big. And just – I think it's huge that the three offensive linemen are coming to campus early too. We talk about offensive linemen as true freshmen. You know, it's not a position that really cracks the rotation early just given what it takes to play on the offensive line at such – at this high of a level. 
I think getting those three on campus early, you get them under the work of Phil Chartway and you get them in the weight room and you get them on the diet and you just get their nose in the playbook. That's huge for their development. It might not pay instant dividends, but we're talking about, you know, guys, redshirt freshmen, two, true sophomores. They're going to be ready to step into big roles and you can't sleep on the impact that them enrolling early has on that. Yeah, and I look over toward the linebacker position, and for a couple different reasons. With Robinson, it's the fact that he did miss out because of an injury. And let's face it, if you're in a Power 5 football facility, you're going to have access to a lot of things that are going to help you on your recovery process. So I was curious if London Montgomery would be someone who enrolled early. Uh, he's going to be graduating from Scranton Prep later on in, in, in the school year, um, so he will not be here. Um, but And then Tony Rojas, to me, just because I circle him as that potential – you know, game wrecker uh, in the making uh, on this defensive group. You can give me one guy who maybe by next November is making some splash plays that are really contributing to the win-loss outcome. I, I tend to maybe push my money towards Rojas right now in the game. we got a lot to learn about him, but the fact that he and not Keys will get those 15 spring practices, I think that could be a real big separating factor in who we're kind of reviewing in that group coming out. Uh, again, just a reminder, you don't have to be on spring ball to make an impact during the season, but it just is such an advantageous situation mentally, physically, getting that camaraderie within the locker room, you know, getting through some of those early moments where you feel like you're going to be a failure and then figuring out you're not. That's all things that it's easier to just figure out in March than it is in August when you're trying to get ready uh, for the first uh, game of the season. So uh, we'll find out a lot about this group moving forward. Daniel, I just want to end with this because we were both in so many different conversations there at the Beaver Stadium media room. We didn't cover Jamil Lyons, so I'm going to get to him in a second. Any notes, takeaways that you just don't want to let slip your mind, forget about, and feel free to toss them out at the end of the podcast? Um, you know, I'm really gonna have to go back through the transcripts to to kind of reload the brain, uh, with with everything that we that we heard today. But uh, you know, we we've talked already talked about him a lot. But I think that when I look at this class, I think Tony Rojas is the the guy that I'm most excited to see. Um, actually, here, uh, you you look at those offensive stats and and what he was able to do, um, as a running back. It's just kind of uh, you know, having that kind of do it all player. Um, I think is, is just really cool to have, really good to have, you know, well-rounded skill set. And now that he has the opportunity to really specialize at, at linebacker, you know, I think that he can really take off, um, especially, you know, James Franklin said that he slots in at that Sam spot and that's kind of where guys start, um, you know, under Brent Pry traditionally. So I think that he'll have some opportunities there early, um, I think that he'll be able to do some things. And I think that he's the guy that that when he gets here, I think could have the chance to to really take off. I mentioned I wanted to to talk about Lions really quickly because I went through the whole list. I'm pretty sure we've talked about everybody on this entire <laughs> show. So that's not an easy thing to do coming out of these. Not everyone, Wednesdays. man. Yeah, so so <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention Lions because we hadn't gotten to him yet. Um, out of Philadelphia, six foot five, 250 pounds. And we all saw him. Um, this summer on campus, and, and he was following his team around, watching them play seven-on-seven seven ball. He looks like he's been in the Penn State program already for a year. Uh, he, he's that kind of a build out of Roman Catholic. Very stout player. Uh, you look at the numbers from the last couple of years. Uh, I think he had 11 sacks. Um, not gaudy numbers, but, man, you watch the film and what he did in a very talented defense. Uh, he really built up a lot of opportunity for the player playmakers around him. And I'm curious when he gets to campus – uh, because of where he is from a physical standpoint right now, um, played some really high-level football at, at the high school level. Um, 
if he can come in and maybe make a dent in that defensive end conversation because Nick Tarburton's on his way out. He announced that. We hadn't gotten to that on this podcast, but Nick Tarburton will play in the Rose Bowl, and that's a wrap on his college career. He's not going to take the COVID eligibility. We thought he might be back. We still think that Adiza Isaac is going to be back, but he's got a decision to make there uh, coming off of year number four on campus. But I just feel like you don't want to have to put all your eggs in in the – then I did a Sutton basket or assume that Zariah Fisher is going to be able to make a giant leap after being injured. And so any more depth that you can start to fortify across this group or assume that Smith Vilbert's going to be out of timeout and ready to roll. Um, so there's a lot of things at defensive end. Uh, and, and this is maybe that guy that with Mason Robinson on board with Joseph Mapoya on board with Jamil Lyons and me noting that none of them are early enrollees. I kind of lean right now towards Lyons, maybe having that opportunity because of something I heard today from Terry Smith, reinforcing that, he says he's got some Abdul Carter to him in a mentality. And when Terry Smith, who recruited Abdul Carter very, very closely to get him to campus, says that and draws the correlation to another Philadelphia standout like that, perked my ears up a little bit. So I wanted to, to end on that note with Lions. And we'll end with you, Tyler Calvaruso, because you've done such a fantastic job helping us get to this early signing period and keeping everyone informed here on the podcast, on the site. Um, just your final thoughts on Penn State wrapping up shop here on a Wednesday, but also the unfinished business and, and what you think that fans, whether they're following this thing day to day or a little bit more loosely, got to know between now and that first Wednesday of February. No, a lot is done, but there's still a long way to go. And we still got a lot to cover. Just guys like Ono who have a chance to make it to campus in January. They're the ones to know at this point. And of course the portal targets that we've touched on just a few minutes ago, guys like Cephas, Prather, Thornton, all these receivers that Penn State is really in the mix with, just because that's such a position of emphasis and a position that they really want to upgrade at, it's going to be an ongoing thing. And the other thing I think Penn State fans that they need to know, we talk, we spent a lot of time this podcast talking about guys like Blanding, Lions, you know, guys we don't really get to a lot. I think on the staff with Penn State, you know, we talk about the position coaches all the time. We talk about what James Franklin does as a recruiter. Guys like Andy Frank, Kenny Sanders, I mean – you can't say enough about what these guys contribute and how this class came together. They're, they're as big of this as anyone. So I think they deserve their flowers for what they've put on throughout the cycle as well. This is a pretty good group, and they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. I think fans definitely need to know that. Yeah, we had an opportunity to speak with Andy Frank and Kenny Sanders uh, and also with uh, Alan Zemitis, the former Penn State standout, who has now come back on and done so a fantastic guys, yeah. job. And, and so all that content will be available to you at lines247.com. There's only so much we can pack into one hour after a day like this. So in the next days to follow, there'll be a bunch of VIP notes coming up uh, on what to monitor moving forward in the transfer portal on the recruiting trail. And we've got a ton of stuff to empty out of our notebooks between myself, Daniel, and Mark. I'm not sure where we're going to find all the time because we got to fly out to the Rose Bowl in one week from today. We still have a game to cover, but it's always such a great event when we get there and the coaches can finally talk on the record about these recruits that we've been talking about on the podcast for two years in some cases. Now they are part of the dialogue. We can write about them. We can ask about them. Um, and that's a great thing for, for us and hopefully for our listeners and for our readers out there. So follow lines247.com, 50% off deal, still going. And this is the time to dive in on that. A lot of perks involved there. Uh, for Daniel Gallon, Tyler Calvaruso, great work today at lines247.com with our signing day coverage. There's photos from inside the Penn State signing day war room that Mark Brennan has up and plenty more coming your way. For now, we're stepping aside, potentially getting a little bit of rest as well. Uh, for everyone here at Lines 24-7, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about if. I'm going to go to Lynn Human. I like it. I love it. It's original and heartfelt. Tyler! 
and the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. This is just so exciting. If. Witty PG, now playing in theaters.